So uh, this evening is uh, May 1st. It's 2013. Our message is crowned. Are you in Isaiah 29? Here comes Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound this people with wonder upon wonder. As I began to meditate on this verse and begin to think about it, I, I want you to know that I don't believe that it defines us. I don't believe it defines our church, but it does identify a problem. As we become more familiar with the Lord, as we fall in love with the Lord, and you kind of know the routine, it is an easy thing to settle into somewhat of a routine that becomes a rut, where we say all of the right things, but in our inmost being, we're not moved in all of the right ways. It begins that we go through worship and we don't enter into his presence, but, I mean, we were there and we did sing the songs. You enter into conversation and you don't lie, but you also don't really lay your heart bare and tell the people where you're at. And it's a natural slide that all of us can do. I feel it pulling at my heart from time to time. And I think there's a cure for it. And I think his name is the Holy Spirit. I think that the Holy Spirit will invade your life and give you power in a way that goes beyond religion taught by men. Goes beyond mere lip service to God. There are many well-meaning people that will meet on a Wednesday night because they love the Lord all over this nation and all over the world. But there's a slow slide going on towards simply routine. And the Lord wants more than routine. Can you say amen? amen? Let's go to 103 and begin Psalm 103. We'll begin thinking about the Lord and His benefits. I believe that where we're going with this message is where we're going as a church. Psalm 103 verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Come on, our inmost being. In Greek, this would be your cardo. In Hebrew, it would be your lave. It means the center of who you are. In the very core of who you are, do you have a glowing warmth? Do you have a power that is beginning to radiate out of you? Then when you see others that are filled with God's power, Something inside you begins to say, yes. See, you can be in a nation where you don't speak their language. Maybe they speak Kisi or speak Swahili. But when you look in their eyes and you see that the power of the Lord is moving on them as he's moving on you, you're mutually encouraged right away. And then you can catch a cab with a man who says all of the right things. And yet his worship is merely rules taught by men. I would like very much for each one of us to have a deep, abiding praise for God in our inmost being. Can we take a minute and pray that in the very center of who we are, the living God would touch us tonight? Amen. Or did we just come to go through a service? Oh my goodness, mighty God, we lift you up. The Father to the fatherless, the defender of widows and orphans, Lord, we want a touch from you in our innermost being. Mighty God, we strive to be like you. And we don't want to strive in our strength. We need your power. Yeah. Holy Ghost, come upon us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, all oh my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not 
of his benefits? Isn't it worth thinking on, on what has brought you from where you were to this place? I know that you have your trials. I've got them too. I know what it is like when your body hurts, you've traveled too far, you've stayed up too late, you've spent more than you should have. Whatever it might be, I'm preparing for the elders meeting right now. <laughs> I know what that is like. But then all we need to do is begin to reflect on what the Lord has already done to bring us this far. How many rivers have you already crossed, as the song said? How many giants have you already knocked down? I grew up in a town where a man named Larry Stockstill ran an admirable ministry for many years. And his father before him and his sons after him. They're a model of what ministry should look like. And I heard him tell a story in 1993 about... This old farmer who loved his donkey. Now that might seem strange if you're not an agricultural people. But if you live next to animals every day. When we were in Africa, a calf was born. They brought it into the kitchen. It sat near, or stood by the table where we sat while we ate. Because he's a valued member of the economy. He provides milk, all of those things. He was a little bull, Matthew, that named him Eric. <laughs> Anybody here ever had to put down a dog? Oh man, when you love him. He couldn't bring himself to shoot his donkey. So he dug a hole, led the donkey down into the hole, turned his back on the donkey, and began to shovel the dirt over his shoulder without looking at the donkey onto the donkey. He's just going to bury him. Just going to bury him and walk away. Devil's tried to bury us, friends. He doesn't want to look at you face to face. He doesn't want to deal with you, Zeke Lamb, because he knows who is in you. He knows what is in your inmost being. He'd rather stand from a safe distance and hurl insults through friends and family and whoever it might be. That's how warfare works. Do you think that Peter meant to insult Jesus? Of course he didn't, and yet he was used of the devil. All of us have been used of the devil at times. Our goal is to be aware of his schemes, to turn our back on his schemes. So the old farmer is throwing dirt over his shoulder, and after a couple hours, with tears streaming down his face, he turns around to see, hopefully, that his donkey has been buried. And his donkey's just standing there on top of a pile of dirt. He says, how on earth did this happen? So he checks out his trajectory. He looks back to see the donkey. He stabs the dirt. He throws it over his shoulder and watches the dirt this time. And when it hit that donkey's back, the donkey just shimmy and stood on it. The earth was as hard under his feet as when the farmer started. Friends, if we can learn to shimmy and stand on it, then you can remember the Lord's benefits. You can praise in your innermost being during the most difficult trials. Of course the devil will send you discouragement. Of course he will use those that are most effective at being his voice for it. We're supposed to shake these things off and stand on them. This is the psalmist commanding his spirit inside of him to praise the Lord. Commanding his spirit inside of him to remember his benefits. What are the Lord's benefits, friends? How good are they? Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. I'm well aware that you may be sitting here tonight and all of your diseases are not healed. And maybe your sin is ever before you. But it does not have to be so. 
We serve a God who wants to crown you. A God who wants to elevate you. A God who loves you enough to save you even from yourself and the mess you created. Just like me. I love where he goes with this. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. I was sitting next to Ezekiel a moment ago. What a fine, typical American little boy he is, huh? Just a little cotton-topped, running around with a big smile on his face. What do you think Ezekiel would do if we gave him a crown? Oh, come on, man. I bet he'd walk an inch taller. I bet he, he might even bark out some orders, huh, Ezekiel? I mean, you never know. But you gave him a crown, and he would certainly be proud of it. Much like a man named Jacob gave his son Joseph a coat of many colors, and he was proud of it. Our Father has crowned us with love and compassion. Did you bring your crown tonight? Yeah. Come on now. Now the world's got something they call crown royal, and they get pretty happy about it. I watched them on the plane. They take it out of a little purple bag, and they disguise it in a Coca-Cola. This way nobody will know what they're doing. But we have a crown that's designed for the whole world to see. We don't hide it in a little purple bag, and ours really is a royal crown. Because it came from the heavens, and the smile on your face declares that you remember his benefits. Declares that the living God is inside of your inner being. This is more than rules taught by men. It is more than hollow worship. It is something that radiates from the inside of you, out of you. Oh, come on, are you wearing your crown What kind of crown are we going to throw at his feet? He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's crowned with many crowns. Where does he get them? You're supposed to bring him an offering. You're supposed to take a crown from your head and place it on his. It's the very love and compassion he shed in your heart and teaches you to shed in the hearts of others. Oh, we said the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. Hold up your hands. My hands belong to the Lord. Come on. My hands belong to the Lord. If the Lord wants to show love to someone, if he wants to show compassion to someone, he's already crowned you with those things. Get to work like a king. He's called you to be a king. You are not the tail. You are the head. In this church, we preach a fair amount on sin. We preach a fair amount on holiness. But we never need to forget something. Those things do not define our life. I am not about a failure. My hands can be God's hands. My head is crowned with the crown he gave me. I will not forget his benefits or insult the memory of them with dwelling on a failure. Shake it off and stand on it. You show me a man who has never failed, I will show you one who has never tried. The world's best benefits, the world's greatest inventions, the world's keenest intellects, lives are marked with failures. It is a coward who stands in the distance and hurls his insults because he was scared to try. I would rather fail trying than fail to try. Can you say amen? amen. Oh my goodness, look at verse 5. This one just gets better and better who satisfies your desires with good things. We serve a God who wants to give you good things, not bad things. If you're walking around with the idea that you are simply a sinner in the hands of an angry God, then he has a stick above your head waiting 
from this verse. He satisfies you with good things. The living God doesn't just sprinkle them on you. He will give them to you until your life is so full that it could be said that you are satisfied. You know, when you eat at the table in Africa, at least in the little village of Riancho, they will pour you chai. Oh my goodness, chai is what manna would be in liquid form. And after you've had a cup, they pour you another. And they will keep pouring until you stop. Till you put your hand over it, and then they say something to you. Are you satisfied, Curtis? They will not let you leave the table until you're satisfied. Do not leave the presence of God this evening until you have been satisfied with good things. give you good things. I want everything that he has for me. I will not be a coward and stand back and say nothing good has happened. I believe that faith compels us to stretch out and try. Do you feel compelled this evening? Yes. So that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. I don't know that I ever met an old eagle. I don't know what a young eagle is like. But I can only assume from the context here that when the Lord does something for you, it's invigorating. When he does something to you, it's renewing. When he does something for you, it's restoring. Are you a little beat up in the house of God tonight? Are you dragging your sword behind you with a big tip? Shield the faith down around your ankles. Peering through the ear hole of the helmet of salvation. Have you been beat up by the storms that beat on the house on the rock? It doesn't have to stay this way. Amen. He can touch you right now. Amen. He can touch you this evening in a way that will renew you immediately. Amen. In the video games my kids play, they respawn. They have no care for their lives. They waste their lives. They will dance on the top of bayonets because with the push of a button, they're back. This is the life of a Christian. We do not have to protect our lives. We do not have to shrink back. We don't have to fear, friends. We can be renewed in a moment. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Who is the Lord concerned with? The oppressed. This word in Hebrew means a crushing weight. Those who are overburdened with something. Sometimes it's the weight of our sin. Sometimes it's the weight of concern. Sometimes it's the weight of rejection. It can be so many things. It doesn't matter what is weighing on you tonight. The point of the scripture is that the Lord is concerned for you. Maybe your body is broken. Maybe your life is broken. Your marriage is broken. There are so many ways to be broken. The Lord is concerned for us. He desires to give us good things. Would you turn with me to Exodus 3? Y'all going to be alright with me this evening? Yeah. You've heard of preaching from the overflow? You simply study and preach whatever comes out? We're preaching the vapors from the tank. 
good thing about that is it has a way of removing the superficial, removing the fluff. I'm very little concerned for how we say it, very little concerned for what we say. I'm very concerned that we hit the heart of God and do what he has commanded. Can you say amen? amen? In the third chapter, we find out what our God is like. Third chapter of Exodus. Look at the seventh verse. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Never again can we say nobody cares. The Psalms declare that the living God watches everyone on earth and considers everything that they do. The Psalms declare that we have an active God, a God that is concerned with your life. He is watching his people in Egypt. He sees what he called misery, and he is concerned for them. I'm glad that our God does not stop with mere concern. Does it help? If your neighbor is concerned that you haven't eaten, does that help? No. Can any of you eat concern? Cody, can you eat concern? <coughs> Our God does not just stop with concern. What does the eighth verse say? So I have come down to rescue them. When our God sees something that is not right, he is concerned. He's moved in his inner being. And he moves to act on our behalf. He said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, so I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptian, to bring them where? Up. Oh, the geography is irrelevant. Think about the terms here. The living God sees your situation, and he is concerned about you. So he comes from where he was to where you are, to raise you up to where he is. The living God is concerned enough about you that he will intervene in your life. He will interject his presence into your life. He will come in and do for you what you could not do for yourself. He bends down to raise you up. And he commands that we be like him. So no longer when you see a child that is not eating can you simply say, oh, that concerns me. We have to do something, don't we? We can't stop with concern because they can't eat concern. They can't live in concern. Concern doesn't keep them warm at night. We serve the kind of God that sees your situation and he's concerned enough to act. He comes down to raise you up. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our living God. Turn to Exodus 33. In Exodus 33... <coughs> We find Moshe, Moses, in a situation at the tent of meeting. What a tabernacle name, man. We have a temporary dwelling. God says there's a day when I will put my name in a very permanent place. It'll be in Jerusalem, in the city of David. It'll be the center of the world, he said in one of the minor prophets. But during this time, I will meet with you in a temporary place. What do we call it? We'll call it a tent of meeting, right? I love how functional Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus' people they are. Moses would go into this tent of meeting. Exodus 33 declares that God's cloud that had followed them, or rather that they followed, would come and fill that tent. 
This is him coming down to do something. Do you know what Moses was in the tent for? He was trying to get direction for their lives, for their problems. He had to make decisions for them that came to him as judge of the people. And he was in there presenting to God their most unsolvable problems. And the Lord would meet with him. The scripture actually says meet with him face to face. That's not a distant God. That's a very real and personal God. Look at verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. What was Joshua's responsibility? If Moses is there to obtain the decision, if he's there to obtain the direction, what role did Joshua play? We know nothing of Joshua's role at this time other than he was Moses' aide. So why does the aide not follow the master out of the room? Because he was hungry. He had tasted of the Lord. He had felt his presence. And he wanted more. Friends, do you come to the tent of meeting simply to do an hour and leave? Are you so hungry for the Lord? that if every other person walked out of the room, you couldn't leave until you were fully satisfied. Amen. Joshua had a hungry heart for the presence of the Lord. Turn with me to Leviticus. In the 26th chapter, I want to show you God's intention for your life. Is that okay? Yeah. This is 26, starting in verse 11. I will put... My dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Let us contemplate the good things of the Lord for a moment. He breaks bars. He crushes oppressors. He heals. He forgives. He crowns. And why? So that you can walk with your head held high. Many people think that Christianity is about condemnation. They think that it's about a, such an acute awareness of your sin that that's what defines you. They misunderstand our lives. We're acutely aware of our failings that we might present them before the Lord that he would fix them and we could walk out of the tent of meeting with our faces glowing like Moses and our heads held high because we are friends of God. Oh my goodness, if you go to your good friend and you couldn't tie your shoe, would he tie it for you? If he wouldn't, he wouldn't be a very good friend, would he? If you went to your good friend and you said, I haven't eaten today. And he had food. If he wouldn't feed you, then he wouldn't be a very good friend, would he? No. We are friends of God. He is not like us. He's better than us. What do you think he won't give you if you ask him? What is it you think he will withhold from you? His desire is that you would strut. Do you remember we talked about putting a crown on Ezekiel? 
Ezekiel would walk taller. He'd be excited. He'd go show all of his friends his crown. The Lord wants you to show him off in your life. Whoever said religion is a private matter was a liar, or they had never tasted it. It is anything but private. It becomes the very life of the world. The way Jesus said that was the light of the world. We should be crowned. Our heads should be high. Shame and condemnation are no longer a part of our lives. Jesus took all of it and left you none of it. All we need to do is meet with him in the tent. Come on, somebody say amen. That's got to be good news. Is that not good news? Do you want to be crowned? Do you want to walk with your heads held high? Let us thank all the good things of the Lord tonight. I'm going to tell the honest truth here. The bare, naked truth, if you will. Where people have the least, they're the happiest. It's just the truth. There's a little boy named Duke right now sleeping on top of dirt in a room with eight kids who are not his siblings. The room is not nearly as big as our first row of chairs. And Duke is the happiest child I've ever met. Those of you who have been there, am I lying? No. He's the happiest child I've ever met anywhere. And if you give Duke two sticks, he'll make a gun out of him. He'll make a cross out of him and get you saved. Duke will play all day long with whatever Duke has. You make Duke haul bricks in a wheelbarrow, and Duke turns the wheelbarrow into a motorcycle, and he's playing while he's doing it. The saddest people I've ever met are those that have the most. It's almost as if we've exchanged what we could have for what we do have. Friends, I want to be satisfied with the presence of the Lord. It's a little bit disturbing. I got off of the plane and turned on my phone for the first time in 10 days. The very first thing that happened is I was notified that I am now friends with someone that I did not recognize their name on Facebook. Has that ever happened to you? Said she was a friend of somebody we went to school with. The very first communication that I received back in the United States was a solicitation for pornography. We have filled our lives with so many things. Maybe just this once we could stop and let our inner man glory in the Lord. He desires to crown us. Let's turn to the book of Luke. By the way, I did find out how to unfriend someone, even on your phone. Whoever over there said that you need me to show you. If you got a wife, she'll figure it out for you, I promise. <laughs> Y'all know Luke 1? In the first chapter of Luke, listen to this greeting given. This is uh, verse 28. The angel went to her, the angel being Gabriel, the her being Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. How do you think of yourself, Sherry? How do you think of yourself, Bob? Lindsay, how do you think of yourself if an angel showed up from heaven? Would you be shocked out of your seat if he looked at you and said, Jennifer, greetings. You who are highly favored for the Lord is with you. Because this is our station in life. This is where we are called to walk with crowns, called to walk with our heads. 
Exodus 33, Moses went so far as to say, by verse 15, I'm not going anywhere if you don't go with me. What else would distinguish me from all the other people on the planet? The distinguishing factor in our life is supposed to be the presence of God. Amen. <laughs> when heaven looks upon us, it is not to beat us. It is not to squash us. He sees our situation and wants to raise us above it. He wants to put us seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are highly favored. He favors you so much, Patricia. Not only is he going to heal your back, he's going to save your soul. Not only is he going to heal your back and save your soul, he's going to give you life to the fullest life possible right now. Amen. This is our destiny. Justin, he doesn't just want to make you a missionary to the nations. He wants to make you full of life everywhere you go. This is what God has called us to. Amen. Oh, how could we train it for rules taught by men? We can go sit in our little neat rows. We can sing our songs. But are you favored by God? And do you know it? Oh, Jesus. He spanned such a great distance that we might know it. He did. As high as the highest heavens and as low as the lowest earthly regions. He spanned that distance that we might know what he thinks of us. We talk about his ability to save, his ability to heal. You know what's most relevant in your life right now? His ability to invade your heart and show up in your actions. Our relationship to him is not about duty, it's a love affair. Sitting in a little village in Africa, broke and a little bit hungry. <coughs> not a big fan of beans. If you invite me over, I would love for you to serve anything. If, if you, you can only serve beans, I will eat them. And I will lie to you and tell you that I like them while I sit there. <coughs> and I had that moment. Lord, am I really supposed to be here? I mean, or do I just do this because it's what we do? Have you ever been there? You might be sitting there right now. <laughs> I'm supposed to be here. I mean. <laughs> I mean, we're Christians on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. This is just kind of what we do, isn't it? Is that why we're here? This was my moment. I watched a little boy walk by with a piece of beef jerky that one of the brothers gave him. And he was more happy than a Cody if I bought him a filet, right? He was dancing with his little piece of beef jerky. My eyes began to wet uncontrollably. My heart began to swell. I said, I understand, Lord. Our religion is more than simply good deeds prescribed by men. In our very inner being, we have found the secret to abundant life. It is stooping down to raise others up because our God has done it for us. This is pure and faultless religion. It is the power of the Holy Ghost. How do you know this? Oh, well, we Pentecostals would say it's because you speak in tongues and we would be wrong. We'd say it's because you prophesy and we would be equally wrong. It's because my nature prior to Christ never would have cared about any of them. It's because we're born so inherently selfish that we're more concerned with what we have than what they don't have. 
But when the nature of Christ comes into a man, when the Holy Spirit begins to move in you, your glory is that you have the high honor of being crowned with his crown and using your hands as if they were his. Oh, will you join me? It's not just a little village in Africa. What did you feel like before you knew about Jesus' love for you? I'm going to tell you, you can find hurt everywhere. Here is a prayer. This comes from the 35th verse. And it's not written as a prayer. I'm just telling you in reading the verse, it's become my prayer. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What do you need? You need a big house? You need a Lexus? You need good grades in school? What do you need? I need the power of the Holy Spirit to overshadow us. And when the power of the Holy Spirit overshadows you, the end of that little paragraph says, for with God, nothing is impossible. You can be despised and rejected of men. You can be broke down and out. But if the Holy Spirit overshadows you. Now let us think about what it means to overshadow. This means he has to be a little bigger than you, doesn't it? It means he has to be in a position of prominence in your life if he's going to overshadow you. And what happens for he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High? You abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will overshadow you. When you live in the center of his being and he lives in the center of your being. He begins to overshadow you and things that were always impossible suddenly become absolutely obtainable. Stephen Richards said on this mission trip, the difficult will do today, the impossible may take a little longer, but we'll do it. And he was right. We went without all of the money that we needed <coughs> and offerings were still coming in while we were on the plane. I will show you not only a foundation that was built, but walls that have risen. And inside of a week's time, the largest building in Riancho will be for the lowliest people. Hallelujah. We clap for Jesus, but I want to tell you, my heart is also applauding you. And it's applauding you because you make this possible. When we begin to believe the word is true. When we give sacrificially. When we go sacrificially. When we pray persistently. Everything becomes possible. You can walk with your heads held a little higher tonight. Because the lowly ones are about to sit at the king's table. The whole village came out in Riancho just to see it will provide six men with work for two weeks just to build it. There is no one that is not happy, from the Magara family right on down to the youngest orphan. The kids went out every day to the place where we marked off the foundation, and they played in the spaces that will become their rooms. For nothing is impossible with God. Amen. 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 Turn with me to Luke. I'm sorry, John 7. Would y'all like to see the foundation? Yes. 
then we're going to do something. <coughs> we're going to play a short video. I didn't have time to get all this stuff ready. We literally have gone from an eight-hour bus ride that was unlike anything I've experienced in any country, anywhere. <coughs> an eight-hour plane ride to a five-hour layover to a ten-and-a-half-hour plane ride. And the only thing we did between the airport and here was Jennifer said, about two inches of my beard had to go. <laughs> there wasn't time to sleep, but there was time to trim my beard. It, it apparently, apparently was going to hinder the moving of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> what the devil and all of his minions cannot do Two more inches of facial hair will do. <laughs> this is a two-minute video that shows you the area that was cleared out and a short word for me. Then we're going to come back and I'm going to finish this word for you starting in John 7. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, hello, LCMF. We are uh, now watching the digging uh, happen for the footings. Uh, this is going to be a great new building. These guys are doing back-breaking work. We join right in and we work alongside them. In this case, we're really happy to have such strong, capable <laughs> workers. We've been eating too many chicken soft tacos in the States. Uh, this footage is going to go all the way around the building and it gives us a level place to start. So there'll be concrete and then bricks on top of that. This is literally going to provide something that for generations will change lives. Children will meet here as a schoolhouse. Next to it, one day we will build a church. There'll be two dormitories, boys and girls, and they'll have their own bathrooms. Saints, every night when your children go to sleep, especially if you put one child in one room, please remember that in little villages like this in Africa, 14 children are sleeping in one 10 by 10 room. It can't be right that we do nothing about it. And I know what you may think. You may think there's so much to do. I, I mean, somebody will do it, or there's so much to do. I mean, we can't do it all. Well, we can one life at a time. And that's really what our vision is about. Seeing the gospel change someone's life, change their family's life. And this is the way in which we'll attack the nations. Just because we can't do it for everybody doesn't mean we shouldn't do it for anybody. We love you very much. You've made this possible and we thank you for it. Next year, consider coming to Rianchogu, Africa. You will meet the Kisi tribe. You will meet people who love the Lord and are eternally thankful that somebody on the other side of the world believed in Jesus enough to put feet to their faith, actions to their, to their creeds. We love you. One life, one family, one nation. Hallelujah. Sunday we'll show you the foundation poured, the bricks laid, and the walls rising. What has the Lord done for you? Do you know why Joshua succeeded Moses? It wasn't just because he had a cool name and he would be a type of Christ. He was hungry for the presence of the Lord. He knew that more than any other thing, what he needed was what Moses was giving him. He knew that. He hungered for the presence of the Lord in a way that rivaled even his master. Because when his father in the faith was tired, he strained for more. How hungry.
for Jesus are you? Look at John 7, verse 37. Are you there? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Friends, Jesus is so great. He is so inexhaustible in his goodness. That not only will he let you drink from him, but he will make you a source that others can drink from. He will pour so much of himself into your life that others can come to you to meet with him. If you don't believe me, the book we're holding was written by his apostles. What does the next line say? The very next word in John says that by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. They had been with Jesus, but the Spirit of Jesus was not inside of them. They were familiar with the moving of the Holy Spirit. They could see Him all around, but the Spirit was not inside of them. It's a little bit like knowing all the right words to say, but in your inner being, not having all that you could have. Are you tracking with me, saints? Yeah. Look at John 14 while we're in John. He says it even more clearly here in the last week of his life. In John 14, here comes the 15th verse. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. And what's that next phrase? And will be in you. I don't walk right up next to the fire if I can become a flaming torch for Jesus myself. I don't want to simply stand and be warmed by those who have the presence of God. If the very presence of God can be in my inner being. How about John 16? You only have to turn a page. Then you'll be in the third. But when he, verse. the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Oh my goodness. He clarifies the statement and goes on to say it again. He will take everything that you know about Jesus. He will take all that is of Jesus and he will make it understandable, appliable to you. We can know that Jesus said we'll do greater things. We can know this. You can be around people who believe it. You can intellectually ascend to it. But until the Holy Ghost becomes a fountain of life in you overflowing, it will never be possible. You'll always be limited by what your hands can do. You'll always be limited to what your mind can conceive of. Oh, it's not enough. I want to be fully satisfied with the good things that he has for me. Yes. I want all there is. I want to siege the gates of heaven at the tent of meeting until I have drained every last drop from an inexhaustible source. How hungry are you for the presence of God? You know, they were hungry enough in the book of Acts to obey a command. 
turn to the first chapter of Acts. We will be coming to a close here shortly. The problem with saying that, though, is it often closes the ears of the hearer. It may be that you endured every other word that I have to say tonight just to get to this chapter. There is not a more profound chapter in all of the Bible than what we see in these words. Men that had been with Jesus three and a half years. They had seen miracles and had performed miracles. They had spoken as ambassadors of the king. They had gone from village to village, enduring insult and persecution for the sake of Jesus. And he still gives them this command in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These men who touched Jesus with their physical hands, who sat and ate with him, these are the very same men that Jesus said, you must wait here until you receive the Holy Spirit. How important is it that in our innermost being we have this found? He had been with them, but not in them. They needed an empowerment from on high. They needed it like flowers need sunshine and rain. They would never be able to accomplish all that God had for them to accomplish without being filled with His very presence. Do you need the presence of the Lord tonight? Yes. Do you need the presence of the Lord tonight? Yes. In Acts 1.8, he tells them what to expect. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Next time somebody tells you they're full of the Holy Ghost, ask them how they are witnessing. I'm full of the Holy Ghost, Pastor. Are you on your way to the ends of the earth? How full of the Holy Ghost are you really? I'm full enough of the Holy Ghost to pray in another language. Well, praise God, that's a good start. When will you be full enough of the Holy Ghost to actually go? How long will you have to pray before the Spirit inside you says, I saved you for a purpose? Full of the Holy Ghost? Full of the Holy Ghost is the power to witness in the face of death. You want to know why the church is so powerful in so many places? It needs to be. You know why the church is so impotent here so often? It can be. We'll accept it. Friends, I pray, I'm begging that you consider in your heart is your relationship with the Lord simply rules taught by men or has He poured something into you that you can't wait to let loose and flow out of you? Jeremiah said his word was like fire that had been shut up in his bones. Fire, friends. Fire burning inside you. Is there fire shut up in your bones? In Acts 2.4, there's a result of them waiting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit did what? On this occasion to speak in other tongues, on other occasions to grab the hands of someone sick and raise them up. In other occasions, who remembers who Peter is? Just 50 days before this event, what was Peter doing? 
denying Jesus. Peter, who had been with Jesus. Peter had vowed to give his life for Jesus. Just 50 days before this event. Is denying Jesus. But when Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 5. The apostles, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least, at least, do you hear that word? At least... At the bare minimum, at least, at least, Peter's shadow might heal them. That's so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. The man who previously had denied Jesus now filled with the very power plant of heaven, filled with the engine of God, filled with the all-surpassing, resurrecting power of God, only had to have his shadow pass by. Now, I'm just curious, when you read that thing in John 15 that says you will do even greater things. You guys have been saved. Anybody in here been saved 10 years? 10. Anybody, anybody up to 20? Okay, we got 30? Oh, Fred, I can see you're going to win this. Let me ask you. Since you've been reading the word much longer than I've been alive, <clears throat> Did Jesus' shadow ever heal anyone? I can't think of one. Tracy, can you think of one? Cody, can you think of one? So when Peter got filled with the Holy Ghost, he was doing things that even Jesus did not do? How is this possible? Because he will take of that which is Jesus and he will magnify it to you. He'll make it knowable to you. He'll make it understandable to you. He'll make it available to you. How satisfied are you? Anybody in here have a healing shadow yet? Then there's more, friends. In the fourth chapter, all of the believers met and they prayed. And the very ground where they were at shook because of their hunger. Joshua went into a tent and he met with the presence of God. But in the book of Acts, the presence of God shook the very earth because of their hunger. Oh, do we have a ways to go? But what does he want for you? We read it in Acts 20, or in Leviticus 26. He wants you to have your heads high. He wants to dwell with you, to walk with you, to be your God beside you. And now we find out he will be inside of you. How do we say, praise the Lord, my inmost being? Because he's inside of your inmost being. Do not settle for a Christianity that leaves Jesus as simply words. Leaves Jesus as something that you experience next to. Don't settle for it. You don't have to. He will set up his residence inside you. Do you know what the tent of meeting is now? Come on, Nolan. Do you know what the tent of meeting is now? You are. We are the tent of meeting. We are where the young aide comes and hangs out just because if he could be around you long enough, he'd find out the secret to what you have. He'd find out what the source of that eternal joy, that crown. 
come meet him. This means you can travel to Africa, India, or maybe Myanmar. I just got through telling my wife at about midnight, the very first time I had phone access, sweetie, I'm done. I'm tired. This is going to be the last one for some time. I just don't have anything left. I wouldn't tell you that, but she's my honey. I'll die whining to her. She's the only one that'll listen. She said, I understand, baby. You've been a bunch of places. I said, the elder said we should probably slow down. And I think they're right. I'm going to listen to wisdom. We're going to hang it up and focus on the church for about a year. That sounds like wisdom, doesn't it? My last night in Africa, I got off the phone with her. It was a voiceover internet call. And uh, I was connected to Wi-Fi. I woke up at 2.15 because my phone went off. I hadn't heard that sound in 10 days. I didn't know why it was going off. It's a man in Myanmar saying he's got orphans and nobody will come see him because they say it's too dangerous and he could use some help. Then I turned to Psalm 103 and I read that he would renew my strength like an eagle. He will make you a meeting place with the presence of God. Wherever you go, the people will meet with God. Not because you're a great preacher, Fredo, but because he loves you and he has crowned you and he's put his compassion and his love in you. He has made you walk with your head held high. And friends, that will distinguish you from everyone on the planet. Amen. Stand to your feet.